Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Joshua. Good morning, faithful listeners, and happy hump day. How have you all been? I hope you're having a great week so far and that you're enjoying the podcast and enjoying work and enjoying life. Contact me if you have any prayer requests, of course, if you have anything that you need prayers for. My information is listed in the description of this podcast episode, and I will pray for you. If you contact me and tell me uh, who or what you need me to pray for, I will write you down in my little prayer journal, and I will make a note to pray for you for as long as I remember to pray for you. So yeah, you're going to find my information in the description of this podcast episode, but you're also going to find something else in there. A link to Seven Weeks Coffee. And you guys know how much I love my coffee. And I got my first batch of Seven Weeks Coffee last week, and it is amazing. I absolutely love it. It's whole bean coffee. I grind it up in my uh, food processor, and it's been absolutely delicious. It is a low-acid coffee that I highly recommend because Seven Weeks Coffee donates to care centers and to non-abortion clinics. That is why it's called Seven Weeks Coffee, is because when the baby is seven weeks old, not only is he or she the size of a coffee bean, but he or she also has a heartbeat. And so Seven Weeks Coffee, their goal is to raise lots and lots of money for care centers that care for these young babies in the womb. So that's why I love Seven Weeks Coffee, not to mention they really do have fantastic coffee. Now, if you need some of that whole bean coffee, I wholly recommend (laughs) going to Seven Weeks Coffee and use my affiliate link because 10% also goes to P40 Ministries as well when you shop for coffee. But okay, grab your seven weeks cup of coffee or your cup of tea if you so choose to take that path for all you crazy tea drinkers out there. And let's go ahead and read all of Joshua 11, which is 23 verses. So I'll be reading out of the WEB this morning, but please feel free to grab the version of the Bible that you prefer. Let's go ahead and read this. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of it, he sent it to Jobab, king of Madon, and the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshba, and the kings who were on the north in the hill country, in the Arabah south of Chinaroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, to the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the hill country, and the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. They went out, they and all their armies with them, many people, even as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude with very many horses and chariots. All these kings met together and they came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight with Israel. Yahweh said to Joshua, don't be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time, I will deliver them all up slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua came suddenly with all the warriors against them by the waters of Merom and attacked them. Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Israel and they struck them and chased them to the great Sidon and to Mizrapoth Maim and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They struck them until they left none of them remaining. Joshua did to them as Yahweh told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. 
Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor used to be the head of all those kingdoms. They struck all the souls who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left who breathed. He burned Hazor with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of those kings with their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, as Moses the servant of Yahweh commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only. Joshua burned that. The children of Israel took all the plunder of these cities with the livestock as plunder for themselves, but every man they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. They didn't leave any who breathed. As Yahweh commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. Joshua did so. He left nothing undone of all that Yahweh commanded Moses. So Joshua captured all that land, the hill country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, the Arabah, the hill country of Israel, and the lowland of the same, from Mount Halak that goes up to Seir, even to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon. He took all their kings, struck them, and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took all in battle, for it was of Yahweh to harden their hearts, to come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them, as Yahweh commanded Moses. Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from that hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with all their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the children of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that Yahweh spoke to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land had rest from war. So Joshua was a fantastic leader. That's the first thing I see from all of this. He was a great commander. He trusted in God. He was a, a fantastic leader of Israel. He just did a lot of good for Israel and took the region of Canaan, the promised land, for Israel. But here's what it says in verses 1 all the way to 14. It talks about this huge battle that ends up happening. So you remember from last time that Joshua had already taken the south of the promised land, but now he had to go and conquer the north. However, Joshua didn't instigate the battle. Instead, all these kings of the north end up banding together with all their men and with all these cities to come and attack little Israel. It actually says that there were so many warriors of all these kings that they could barely be counted. They were like sand, little granules of sand on the seashore. That's how many men came out against Israel. All these kings and all their warriors came out against Israel. Little Israel of two million people had to go up against this huge, huge encampment of people. And I can imagine Israel was getting pretty scared at this point in time that all of the north of the, the promised land was coming out against them, all these Canaanite regions. It says the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, all these people came out against Israel. Israel was probably terrified because they hear that this these kings are coming out against them again. And this was probably the largest battle they would ever have to 
worry about, the largest war they would ever have to worry about. So Yahweh comes to Joshua and he says, don't be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time, I will deliver them all up slain before Israel. In one day, God was going to allow Joshua to completely succeed in taking the north. And not only was Joshua going to succeed, he was also going to destroy all their weapons, their horses and their chariots. Everything was going to be destroyed by the Israelites. With God, you don't need all these fancy weapons. You know, they had so many horses and chariots and weapons here, but Joshua didn't need to take any of them because God was the only weapon the Israelites needed. God was going to help Joshua destroy all these kings in one day. And think about that. No war ever only lasts for a day, unless like God is on the side of somebody. But this is what was going to happen, and Israel didn't need to take these extra weapons. There was no need for them. So God says, get rid of all the weapons, even the horses, even the chariots, get rid of it. And that's what Joshua completely ends up doing. He obeys God. He didn't worry about these things that he thought he might need for future battles. And so he does exactly what God commands him to do. And he destroys the weapons, the horses and the chariots. Now, there were many kings and many leaders who didn't do what Joshua did and relied on these kinds of weapons and on military might rather than on God. David was one of them. It actually says that David sinned against God because he took a census of the people because David's heart turned away from God in that instance. Perhaps he became fearful. And so he started counting all of his warriors and possibly all of his weapons. And he wasn't relying on God any longer. And God ended up punishing David for that sin that David committed against God, actually. So what does this show us? What does this teach us in scripture? It teaches us that first and foremost, we don't need to worry. This kind of goes back to what I talked about on Monday and what my sister wrote about on the blog for Monday's blog post is that God can give us whatever we need. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six that we shouldn't even worry about where we're going to get our food or clothing because God already knows that we need these things and God is going to protect us. He's going to take care of us. This is all walking in faith. We have to have that faith that God knows what he's doing and God can fight for us. There's a verse in scripture that says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so what's that mean? Because all of us basically like money. We all kind of love money in a sense because money gives us what we need. We can go to the store. We can buy food for our families. We can survive if we have money. But what is the love of money? The love of money is when we trust in money more than we trust in God. And I guess money could be really anything. If we trust in something to save us more than we trust in God, that is the love of something above God. And so God is showing Joshua that Joshua and the Israelites don't need these extra things. God's got them completely. And so Joshua ends up utterly destroying all all these kings, it says Joshua captured all the cities of the, these kings with their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them. As Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded him, 
However, Israel didn't burn any of these cities except for one. They burned Hazor, but they did not burn the other cities because I would guess the Israelites went in, fixed them up, and lived in them. But they took the plunder for themselves. They took the plunder of all these cities with the livestock, and Israel gained wealth in that way. Israel was now able to support themselves living in the promised land instead of having that manna come from heaven and God like supporting them with his own hands. Israel was now given enough to be able to support themselves through these battles and through the plunder they got from these battles. And so it says that Joshua utterly destroyed all of the people out of these cities. This was divine judgment because these Canaanite cities were extremely corrupt and they all worshiped idols. So this was divine punishment. God was using the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites. And it says they didn't leave any person who breathed. So then it says in verses 15 through 23 that Joshua did everything that God had commanded Moses for Joshua to do. It says he left nothing undone of all that Yahweh commanded Moses. And we already see that Joshua had already enacted the altar God told him to do. He already did the ceremony of the blessings and cursings God told Moses to do. And plus the various laws that Joshua was supposed to fulfill once the people go into the promised land, Joshua made sure all of that was intact. We're going to talk about more of those laws that Joshua ends up, you know, putting into place in the next coming chapters or so. The one thing I really want to talk about here, though, is verse 20, where it says, for it was of Yahweh to harden their hearts so that they would come against Israel in battle so that he might utterly destroy them. So it was in God's will for these Canaanite peoples to have their hearts hardened. Now we've talked about that before, that idea of God hardening hearts. And the way I understand it is that God stops pulling somebody towards him and he allows that person to just do whatever they want to do and their hearts become hardened. Romans 1 kind of talks about that concept, about what hardening of hearts really is, is where God just gives up <laughs> on like pulling them towards him and he gives them over to what their depraved minds already want to do. So Romans describes what God hardening hearts really means and what it talks about. And so that's what God ends up doing here against these Canaanite kings. He hardens their hearts. He stops pulling them towards him because every single one of us, God pulls us towards him to a certain extent. God is never going to force a relationship on us, but God absolutely wants to have a relationship with every single human being on earth because we're all created in God's image. God loves us all equally and he will pull us towards him. He, he shows us things. He tries to have a relationship with us. However, if we just don't want that relationship, if we say, no, I don't want anything to do with God, God will let us go. He will let us go. And then our hearts become even more hardened as we get further and further from God. And as God just allows us to get further and further from him. This actually happened to a friend of mine recently. I looked her up on Facebook because I haven't heard from her in years. Actually, ever since I started doing the podcast, she just stopped contacting me. And we always had differing views. We, we didn't have a lot to talk about, honestly. And it was kind of hard to, to hold a conversation with her because she was very, very 
um, opinionated about her opinions and very pro things that I was not pro, if that makes sense. But we still were friends and we would travel together and we would do fun things together. But I looked her up recently and I was very sad to see that she has just fully embraced a very unhealthy lifestyle, if that makes sense, without going into too much detail. She's she's embraced a lifestyle that is just so contrary to God. And it just, it really, honestly, it broke my heart because I truly did care about her. It kind of seems to me from an outside perspective looking in that God hardened her heart, allowed her to have her heart hardened, if that makes sense. And so I am very, very sad about that. But God will allow somebody to have their hearts hardened. He will harden their hearts. And God doesn't need our excuses for him. Does that make sense? And it is interesting how often in scripture it states that God hardens hearts. And God will do that. He will harden a person's heart. But I don't believe that God gives anybody what they don't already want when it comes to their hearts. If somebody wants to have a hard heart towards God, God is going to allow that to happen. God will give them what they want. And clearly these kings hated Israel already, already wanted to come out against Israel, and God gave them what they wanted, their hard hearts. And so they came out in battle against Israel and they were destroyed. They were totally 100% destroyed by Israel. But to conclude, at the very end here, it mentions the Anakim. You guys remember the Anakim? The Anakim were the ones that 40 or more prior years to this, the Israelites were terrified of. And so the Anakim were actually the ones that Israel were like, no, we are not going into the promised land because we are scared of the Anakim. We wish we could just die here in the wilderness. We want to die in the wilderness. We would rather die than face these Anakim. And fun fact, God did give the Israelites what they wanted right there, what their heart wanted. They said they wanted to die in the wilderness. They said they didn't want to fight the Anakim. God gave them exactly what they wanted. And that generation of Israelites wandered the wilderness for 40 years, did not go into the promised land, and died in the wilderness. But now this new generation, this next generation of Israelites, wanted the promised land. And so God gave it to them. And the Anakim came out against the children of Israel. And Joshua and the Israelites defeated them, totally destroyed them. It says that there was none of the Anakim left in the land of Israel. Only in Gaza and in Gath and in Ashdod did some Anakim remain. So that army of people, the Anakim, that Israel was so afraid of 40 plus years prior to this has now just been utterly destroyed by this small Israelite army and by Joshua because God was on Israelites' side. And it says in scripture that the reason God was on the Israelite side was not because they were the most powerful. It was not because they were the greatest nation on earth. In fact, God says that he was their God in spite of them being the smallest and basically the, the most pitiful, the, the weakest 
of all the tribes on earth. God loved the Israelites, and that's why he was on their side, because he had made a promise to Abraham, his friend, years prior to this, that God would give Abraham all that land, all that promised land to his descendants. And so now God is fulfilling that promise he made to Abraham. And it says, the land had rest from war. Well, we covered a lot of themes today in uh, this chapter. We talked about God hardening hearts. We talked about God blessing people who he wants to bless, God loving his children. We talked about a whole lot of themes here today, trusting in God. So I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, but join in on Friday because we're going to talk about Joshua chapter 12. We're going to be doing chapters again for a while in Joshua, and I kind of counted out how long it would take for us to get through Joshua, and most likely we will be done with the book of Joshua by the beginning of August, I would guess. So after that, we'll be moving into the book of Judges, my personal favorite book of the Bible. So I am excited to talk about Judges, but I'm also excited to finish Joshua and talk about all these battles and the promised land getting uh, allotted out to all the different tribes. We're going to talk about all that moving forward. So please join in on Friday, 6 a.m. or whenever you choose to wake up. Happy listening and God bless.